1: welcome to Performance Anxiety. Buzz Osborne joins us this week. I loved speaking with him. He's straightforward and no BS. You never have to guess what he's thinking. That is liberating, but it can be a little intimidating as an interview. He's got a new King Buzzo album out featuring Trevor Dunn. But before we get to that, Buzz gives me a Melvin's history lesson. He's always been an artist who forges his own path, regardless of trends or popular opinions, to create music that he wants to make touch on how we met Dale Crover through an Iron Maiden loverboy cover band how amazing technology can be and the wonderful things he's gotten through music most importantly has been his wife for 27 years pick up "Gift of Sacrifice by King Buzzo featuring Trevor Dunn wherever you normally get your music follow Melvin's on social media to find out about future tour plans and check out at Real King on Instagram for some great photography follow us at Performance and x subscribe, rate, and review and let's get started with King Buzzo.
2: This is uh, King Buzzo from the Melvins. I got a new album coming out called Gift of Sacrifice, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety.
1: The first thing I want to do is thank you so much for this opportunity, man. This is this is uh, really cool. I never imagined I'd be uh, speaking with uh, King Buzzo on my podcast.
2: Really? How long have you been doing the podcast? Uh, this is about two,
1: I guess, close to two years. Um, uh, The first thing I want to find out about is is a little bit more about how you got into music in general. I mean, were you, when did you start playing music? Was guitar your first instrument or was there something else that got you into
2: it? No, guitar was my first instrument. I think when I was in sixth grade, we played, uh, we had like a um, band, like, you know, band and then I played trumpet, but I don't even remember
1: Oh, my trumpet. daughter plays trumpet.
2: <laughs> yeah, in hindsight, it was kind of a waste of time. <laughs> it was in junior high school, and I just didn't really care about it, you
1: know? Yeah.
2: So that was that was it. Okay. That, play. And then I started playing guitar near the end of high school. Oh, okay. I didn't play when I was younger. Like oh. Dale, drummer in the Melvins, has played guitar since before he played drums. So since uh. he was, you know. Before he was 10. Oh, my gosh so yeah you, so you are me my name is Steven Steven, Steven. in the novel's a bass player he's been playing bass since he was like eleven
1: you know oh geez so okay so you weren't one of those guys who was walking around high school strumming away showing everybody what you know showing off to everybody Not
2: really I played a little bit in high school okay. there was a an acoustic guitar class you could take but it was a waste of time. <laughs> with a really grumpy teacher who uh i don't know what his problem was you know he <laughs> yeah. seemed, it'd be like, it's like what i would imagine taking a guitar class from ted kaczynski would be like you know oh,
1: geez. <laughs> <laughs> that's rough oh
2: jesus so yeah i didn't it, but despite that that was when i was in 10th grade i think yeah no, i didn't get an electric guitar until i was nearly out of high school so
1: and you the melvin's you it's kind crap.
2: of you, well, crap, you, you, crap you, guitar
1: oh, oh yeah <laughs> but now you started the Melvins like right out of high school right yeah so they mo- right away so they were your first band then i guess right
2: yeah pretty much the only band um uh in hindsight it seemed like it was a long time between the time i started playing and the time we were actually playing shows and stuff but it really wasn't that long
1: oh really how, when, how less
2: than a couple years
1: oh okay okay and what were you listening to at that Back then, what was what were your influences?
2: Oh my God, I started listening to the rock music when I was about twelve. Okay, and the ran the gambit because I didn't have any older siblings who were into cool music, or uh, I didn't have any older siblings, and I didn't have any uh, cool friends whose older brothers or sisters would play the music. I didn't know anybody. You know, I didn't really have seventh, eighth, ninth grade. I do not really have too many people I hung out with, a little, but not really what I would consider friends. Okay. Not anymore. And then ninth or tenth grade, tenth grade, I started, tenth, yeah, around tenth grade, I started hanging out with Mike Dillard, who ended up being the uh, drummer in the Melvins. Right. And me and him are still friends. And we now do records. He was a original drummer. Yeah. We do records as, called, uh, you know, Melvin's 1983, which is him playing drums and Dale playing kind of bass. So that's as oh, close as wow. we so he was out of the band by 84 okay and then we had dale, we had dale so dale's been in, really been in the band almost the entire time
1: oh, okay so and, and then you started off with was it matt lucan playing bass or, or drums like you said yeah. okay
2: but that was not gonna you know i was kind of done with him before i was even out of high school
1: oh really okay
2: but um it wasn't a lot of options i, I came from a rural America town. Uh, and I'm not a good, in, you know, thinking back about the whole thing. I'm not, it wasn't, it wasn't a good fit for me. I would have been much better off in a bigger, much bigger school uh, with with way more people. This was a small school with maybe not even a hundred kids in my class. And ah. these were kids who had been to going to school together since they were in kindergarten whose parents had went to school together and, and it was it was a uh, naughty and I came there when I was in about seventh grade oh okay and, um, from a much smaller town up in the mountains near Mount Rainier Washington oh wow and of even less people I think the town where I was born had about 900 people in it oh geez and where I ended up was a uh, that, that place had less than 2,000 people in it so wow. I moved to San Francisco. I never lived in a big city.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So so yeah. you must you, you're just listening to stuff on the radio at that point, I guess.
2: The radio was crap. If you wanted to hear um the AM pop type stuff from the mid seventies, then then it was right it was perfect for you. you know? <laughs> but I could sometimes pick up the stations from Seattle. So I heard a little bit of that stuff, and that excited me into liking stuff like uh, Ted Nugent and Aerosmith and Kiss and Black Sabbath and things like that, which I liked all that stuff. And then when I was about 12, I liked rock music, and I realized that, you know, they had these magazines like Cream Magazine and, Mm I don't remember, Hit Parader or stuff like that. And the magazines were pictures of all kinds of bands by 77 or so, you know. Yeah. I was uh, um, 12, 12 or 13 in 1977. Okay. And uh, in those, in those magazines, they had pictures of all these other bands that I didn't know anything about, like David Bowie and, you know, eventually the Sex Pistols and Clash. And I'd see all these pictures. And then in the back of the magazines, they would have these, because where I lived, you, you couldn't even buy a record. Nothing. Oh, Wow. Nothing no record stores where i lived there was no anything oh, um i think there was a town in aberdeen you could buy records there but that was over 10 miles away from where i lived and uh, i wasn't getting a lot of options when i was 12 to have uh either my parents <laughs> drive me there or i could have walked i suppose oh, taken half a day to get there and then the few times that i ever went in there and i was a kid. The two or three times I went in there, they kept accusing me of stealing things. So I, I, I never went in, Oh, geez. um, but it was, you know, they had some stuff that might've been interesting, but they were not very helpful and super, um, uh, mean kind of mean spirited. And, uh, so anyway, I would buy these, I noticed that you could buy these records in the back of the magazine. And so what I would do is I would save up my money cause I always worked. I always had some kind of job doing some kind of something whether it was mowing lawns or whatever it was because i always wanted money my family wasn't by no means uh rich enough to sit there and buy me all kinds of stuff like that so i would give my mom money and she would write me a check i would send it you know and then weeks and weeks later uh, records would arrive and that's how i got into bowie and all these other people like that And, and then from bowie i found out that he was interested in this guy named Iggy Pop and so were the Sex Pistols and and so then I found out about the Stooges all that stuff on my own all in the 70s oh man and then and then it just went from there you know this punk bands and I found out about all that stuff without ever knowing anyone who liked any of that stuff
1: that's that's amazing and you know the great thing about about that is said, you know that was back in the time where you would find out about a band or an artist and you'd have to send away for it and wait for it. And so you've got that anticipation building and you're already invested into that music before you've even heard it.
2: Well, I didn't know what to expect. Um, And people don't really have any idea. When you ordered something in the 70s, the only game in town for delivery was the United States Post Office.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And their delivery time was no matter where you sent anything for was six to eight weeks. Yep. Yep. And you had to wait for that check to clear. It would would even say it on the, uh, uh, when they, uh, uh, when they, uh, uh, would do their advertisements on TV, you could see an advertisement, you know, Oh wait, six, you know, buy this. It'll be six to eight weeks for delivery. Six to eight weeks. Yeah. Oh, the check has to clear. Okay. But the post office, it's like, if I ordered something from Seattle, it would take a minimum of six weeks for it to get there. Yeah. Minimum. That, that's you could walk to Seattle and back in less time than that. <laughs> you know, and, and and when you think about it, the delivery, the way that they deliver packages is no different than they do, they do now. No. They just had us over a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and so they screwed everybody for years. This is why, you, you know... Anytime there's a monopoly, especially a government-run monopoly, the yeah. people the, the, the public gets screwed. Oh, absolutely screwed. And so now, uh, amazingly, the, the the with the advent of UPS and FedEx and those kinds of things, the post office is now able to do all those things it could never figure out how to do before.
1: Oh, I know it, it's it's amazing. It's amazing, and then, and and you're you're right. I mean, people, kids today. I mean, I know my kids, especially. My, I've got three teenagers. They don't appreciate having to wait for that stuff and letting that anticipation build because you can download everything instantly.
2: Honestly, I don't, I didn't appreciate it either. (laughs) (laughs) I buy stuff now, I can buy stuff now with a credit card and the delivery is there sometimes before the end of the day.
1: It's crazy.
2: And so I think that, you know, that's really worrying about what the customer thinks that's getting it there for the customer who in every transaction is always the most important person in the transaction exactly but the post office never saw it that way no no they thought you were just a merely just a pain in their ass yeah. <laughs> you know so, and I, where, and where I lived where I first lived um, they didn't even deliver mail to your house you had to go into town wow. and pick it up at the post office Jeez. You know, it's a total pain in the ass. People just, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not a good old days type of guy. You know, I'm not. Right. I'm really glad that uh, things are a lot better now, a lot different. Life is better in every way now. Yeah. Way better. I, I it ever was. Oh, yeah. The exchange of information is unbelievable now. I can't imagine how great it would have been. For me to find out about a band and then see him playing instantaneously on YouTube the way you can now. <laughs> yeah. What's this band Blue Cheer? I want to see what that looks like and what that's on. There it is. What's this Captain Beefheart I've heard about? Well, there it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I don't, I don't see a bad side to any of it. I think it's a great thing. The exchange of information is such an amazing tool and we live in such a, an unbelievably tremendous and fun time that it's almost beyond comprehension.
1: It is. It's incredible. And the one thing that, that I've had this conversation with a lot of people on the show and off the show. And the one thing that that keeps coming back is, is you know, the, the availability of everything is amazing. And it's incredible to be able, like you said, to be able to research a band. Oh, what is Who are these guys? Let me look them up yeah. immediately. Boom. But, but the one thing that that uh, a lot of people have mentioned is that w- with the availability of things like Spotify and and YouTube, there isn't the investment in the music. Like if if I spent twelve dollars on a record or a CD, I'm gonna spend time listening to it over and over again. Now you don't really have to do that. It, do you think that's a concern for music in general, or it? You don't think do you think that maybe doesn't matter so much?
2: Well, it matters monet, monetarily to to bands, but see the thing with that kind of thing, I mean maybe you would spend more time listening to it, but I had plenty of records that I bought that I didn't like in the least or received <laughs> as gifts as a kid. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't matter how long sticks the grand illusion would have sat there. I would never <laughs> have, You know, that I received as a, you know, Christmas present from an aunt or something. Right. You know, you know what I mean? I was not going to like it, uh, you know. Or, or in high school, getting it, you know, from someone, a, you know, foreigner double vision album. It would, it, oh, it could, yeah. you know, sit there forever. I mean, it's not going to appeal to me.
1: That's a good point. That's okay. You know, that's a very fair and point.
2: So, I mean, if you, there's a few records, quite a few actually, maybe that have grown on me. But that continued to happen even later. There'll be something about it. Okay when I could easily buy it and then I didn't like it right away. And then eventually, you know what? I really like this. I've had that happen with movies too.
1: Oh yeah. I've definitely had that with movies.
2: Art books. You know, I, I really didn't like that book and I realized it's the third time I've read it. You know? Right. <laughs> something so, appealed to me about it. I'm yeah, not sure. You know?
1: Okay. That's a, that, that is a good point. Yeah. There's the, whether you buy it or not, or you're listening to it on YouTube, if there's something that'll, that might a little hook that'll grab you, even if, if it's not obvious in the first place.
2: Yeah, sometimes, there's sometimes stuff just clicks. Yeah. Boom. Like you said, it'll grab you, or you just, I just had it, I've had it happen when all of a sudden I had a much bigger appreciation of something. Yeah. Or I never gave it that much of a chance to begin with. But people people try to look for this thing like it was better in the old days, and I, I just disagree. I just don't, you know, I lived through the old days. Yeah and i don't think it was better and like people talk about well, bands don't get paid now by the record labels i'm like well when did they get paid by the record labels
1: yeah i I just had that talk recently with somebody (laughs) it's
2: like you know these who were these check writing angels back in the 60s 70s (laughs) and 80s when when bands were selling records that were just happily partying with their money and giving them i I know indie labels who shall go nameless (laughs) Who, who sold hundreds of thousands of records all through the 80s and never paid a band, the band's a nickel. Yeah, look at,
1: look at bands like Creed of Clearwater Revival. I mean, they, they didn't get anything, and they sold millions.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, um, on a major label, it's one thing. Um, on an indie re- record label, it's, you know, per dollar invested, it's a much bigger ripoff if they don't pay you.
1: Uh, yeah that's okay that's good that's a good point too.
2: I've never understood why people complain about the ripoff of a major label when there's indie labels to bitch about <laughs> <laughs> They're by and large the biggest ripoff of them all a lot of times they think that they have that since they're not corporate they think that they have some kind of moral edge on everyone else and it's like no actually you're the least moral of anyone I've ever dealt with
1: <laughs> oh man oh you
2: know, and uh, uh, um, and usually there, if you if you find some hipster label with a bunch of you know hipster punk rock type people, if you start talking about stuff like money, then they think you're not cool. Yeah, and, and you're just being some drag, and so they really don't care about not paying you. you know? uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> I can't believe a,
2: that you would do that, Mister, so, with some ethics clause in yeah. there. and I was going to want to go look. You know, you owe us money and you should pay us the money. And I don't really care what you think about that. Yeah. You know, sometimes That's... that works. But by and large, unless you're already hooked up with good people, you'll never get a nickel. Nothing.
1: That's awful. You know? So it really doesn't matter who you sign with.
2: Uh, you know, the contracts are generally to keep you out of court. Right. And unless you have something to for them to win or have a bunch of money. Um, uh, there's really no suing them is not going to do you any good mm. they'll just go bankrupt but whereas like when we were on Atlantic Records you have a big contract with a company like that because they have something to lose okay. in a court yeah. battle and so they will they will abide by the contract they'll go right down every step of the way and give you everything that you are owed and they'll do it they'll, uh-huh. they'll abide by every single word in it Vandy Label you can sign any contract you want it, you know yeah, you know, F. Lee Bailey as your as your as your <laughs> attorney. It's not going to make any difference. Mm. They're just not going to pay you. You know, so you find labels. That's why I've always found. Labels like Boner Records, who we, who we did records with in the late '80s into the early '90s. Yeah, that paid us. Tom Flynn has paid us everything we were owed every six months for that entire time.
1: That's you know, fantastic.
2: Once I find something like that, why would I go? and take his records away from him or do the, I could have easily done that after this much time, but I think, no, he's treated us right. I'm going to leave it. And Ipecac records, we've been on Ipecac since the, for more than 20 years. Yeah. I think it 99. Us, think. Everything we're owed every six months. That's amazing. Why would I look for something else?
1: That's awesome. And that, I, and I think that's part of, of the, uh, the beauty of having an artist run label. You know, they've, yeah, they know.
2: I have. I've I've been in other situations with hipster artist-run labels where they never paid us anything. Oh, geez. So you know, you, you, it's it's or they pay you once and then you never see another dime out of them, or you never see anything. And I always laugh when people go, "Well, they never send a statement." So I go, "I can make a statement for you that says anything." Yeah, what you want is a check. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you, Fuck your statement. Yes. I mean- exactly exactly. <laughs> You know, I did all this work and sold all these records for you, and you don't want to come through on your end, or you think I'm being lame for suggesting it. You know, okay, whatever. Well, you know, as it is right now for indie bands, or you know, underground bands, not like uh, not unlike us. If you want to make something like a seven inch or a ten inch, it's very expensive to do that. It's very expensive, and so you really have to be careful with your money. You know, I think it's uh, bands have to really watch out with those sorts of things. And I think eventually it'll come back around to where they'll realize that things like CDs really are a better deal and they sound really good. Yeah. And, and, um, people will realize that and the vinyl will probably go the way of the pet rock at some point
1: again. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's I've, what I'm guessing. It's kind of pricing itself out of the market right now. And I think most yeah. people, I, I Hazelweyer, Tom Hazemar who we do a lot of limited edition stuff like that with, um, said that, I can't remember how he found this, but he found something that showed that less than 40% of all vinyl that gets bought even gets listened to.
1: Yeah. But it, it tends to become a collector's item, you know,
2: which is fine. I mean, I, I collect all kinds of stuff. I understand stand it. And the other thing is, is there's some amount of people who will buy vinyl. So we'll make some vinyl. And when we do, we'll try to make it really cool and silk screen covers. And yeah. I like the art the artwork on it. And, crazy vinyl colors and all, all sorts of things along those lines. But yeah. beyond that, it's immaterial to me um, because the most important thing really is the music. Yeah. And uh, um, you know, we'll do it because there's a small market out there of people who will buy vinyl that we appreciate. And you know, I, I, I will still do it until it doesn't make sense anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, if it, if it's gonna help you guys out and get the music out there to somebody, then, then why not? Now, I've got a, a question for you uh, about the name Melvins. How did you guys decide on on Melvins?
2: Oh, uh, we wanted something that was kind of like the Ramones. Okay, that was it. That's it? <laughs> it. Didn't sound like a punk band. Didn't sound like a metal band. We wanted to play a combination of weird stuff along those lines, and not have our name pigeonhole us. We also wanted to make sure our artwork for our uh, record covers that didn't pigeonhole us in one form or another, you know? Okay, okay. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we didn't belong to any club, whatever it was. We don't have any brother bands or people out there that are, you know, working the same, you know, like, we're we're a pop-punk band, okay, you know? We're a band that sounds like, you know, um, uh, something on Lookout Records from a long time ago. Okay, who cares? (laughs) I never wanted to be that.
1: (laughs) Well, you managed to... to Definitely avoid any pigeonholes. That's for sure, because your music is so varied. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about Dale for a second. Um, yes. You. F- I heard, and and I believe this was in an, an interview that I heard trying to research for this show. That you f- you found Dale in a cup co- an Iron Maiden lo- slash Loverboy cover band. Mostly Loverboy. Mostly. <laughs>
2: How yeah, I mean, there's nothing else going on. I was in Aberdeen. He lived in Aberdeen, and uh, I'd seen him play in that band a few times, or one, twice. Okay. And I thought, wow, that guy's good. And what we were looking for at that point was a guy who played, who could play heavy metal stuff. Okay. Because I always liked the way those drummers played. You know, I always liked the way heavy metal drummers played. I thought they were all good drummers. Mm-hmm. I was a huge and remain a huge fan of The Who. I wanted a, a Keith Moonish kind of guy who wasn't worried about breaking his drum heads. Right. A little regard for his equipment in general and uh, uh, played the drums like it was uh, like his very life depended on it. Okay. You know, I wanted something that was tribal and uh, pounding. And somebody who could expand beyond that, but I always thought heavy metal drummers were really good, by and large. There's some hair metal drummers, obviously, weren't very good, but usually, right. even the cheesiest metal bands had good drummers. Okay. Usually. Usually. You know, so I, I wanted to take a guy like that and have him do what we were doing, because we, we 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 always wanted to incorporate stuff like that from our uh, into what we were doing as well. Okay. Lots of heavy metal stuff and you know things along those lines, but then as well as that, you know, birthday party you know captain beefheart we've always described ourselves as, as for you know decades that we're captain beefheart playing heavy metal you
1: know uh, yeah i i actually that makes sense to me
2: <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty much what we're doing what? i would say that makes sense how would how would captain beefheart if he was going to write a heavy metal song what would you do i think that's what we're trying to do
1: <laughs> that's i never i never put that together that's that is perfect
2: yeah and i think a lot of people don't get that um uh, but that's okay yeah, yeah. It's lots impressive. of people don't understand how I've been able to make a living playing music at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Was the plan from the beginning to play something slower and heavier than Maiden and Loverboy anyway, or,
2: um, well, you know, I never liked Loverboy, but I certainly like Maiden, <laughs> some of it. Yeah. Uh, but there were lots of bands playing stuff along those lines that we liked, like Flipper and, and Black Sabbath and, mm-hmm. um, Black Flag and lots of bands had slower songs. Um, we were big fans of uh, damaged, damaged on the uh, Damaged Album by Black Flag.
1: Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah.
2: And, you know, just lots of Pink Floyd stuff was slower, and mm-hmm. we didn't think it was we were inventing anything new. If anything, we were just expanding on what was already there. And, and, and there was lots of bands that were doing, you know, hardcore, really fast. We liked that too, but it had gotten really stale for me by about 1985, and so uh, I kind of walked away from it unless the bands were really exceptionally good, you know? Yeah. And uh, um, that was few and far between, you know? 50th 50th generation straight edge bands weren't something I was interested in (laughs) by about 84 85, you know? (laughs) I couldn't care less. I mostly didn't like their message. I thought their bands were crap. Um, I I didn't have any of that, you know, holier than now posturing. I wanted to, at that time, you know, get hammered. And uh, run around chasing chicks and yeah. playing music that was uh, had no redeeming social value whatsoever.
1: <laughs> well, congratulations, all. man.
2: Yeah, and, and um, you know, we wanted to you know be heavy metal with Throbbing Gristle thrown in there, you know? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, that's it. and the Swans, that was another band we really liked.
1: Oh, I love Swans.
2: Certainly playing lots of slow stuff. And, um, you know, we're a lot more avant-garde or Ava Gardner than people think. <laughs>
1: well, I yeah, I mean, I've, I was just checking out uh, Colossus of Destiny, I mean, that's yeah. that's crazy, and that's what, it's What it's two tracks, one's 59 minutes and 23 seconds, and the other's 5 seconds? Oh, right. I don't
2: know. A- <laughs> I haven't checked. <laughs> um, I think we were trying to do something, that you had to back it up to hear it. At the beginning, but I don't know if it ever worked. Oh, God, I lots remember. Of the- Destiny, lots of Destiny people were like, oh, that's just uh, some noise record. I was like, actually, it's not really. It's got a meter and a flow to it, and it goes all over the place, and it's not just noise record. I mean, if you listen to, you know, um, there's lots of other records that are much noisier than that. Yeah, like- I'm not sure what it is people, I don't know. You can't please anybody. Yeah. No. I, I quit worrying about that thing that kind of stuff a long time ago and just started concentrating on doing what I thought was good and figuring that if I thought it was good, there'll be other people who think it's good. Right. You know? That's it. Now you guys not, not, not trying to be perverse. I'm not being perverse. If I was being perverse, I'd be making stuff that even I didn't like.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, no, and that's, and that's not what I'm doing. No. and that's <laughs> you know? the, One of the things that, that I've kind of discovered is that, you know, you know what you like. You're not afraid to, to do it or to say it. And, uh, you know, that's if you don't like it too bad.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, my ideas about stuff like that can change, too. But I'll see online forums about the BAM and stuff like that. And they're just wrong, wrong, wrong about everything, yeah. about our motivations, about what we think, about what kind of people we are. Um, it, 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 it's, it's It's odd to me that people, especially when they think weird stuff. Or, or things like, you know, that we're jealous of the grunge people who made millions of dollars. It's like, what kind of a person do you think I am? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm jealous of anything like that. I, I, I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm, uh, I keep my head down and keep working. Yeah. Do you know what we're doing or not? You don't like it? Well, there's nothing I can do about that. I've dealt with that my whole life. People who don't like what I'm doing, I'm not, not making the music for them. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, you got to make the music that you want to make.
2: Yeah, that's it. And we we've said millions of people won't like this. <laughs> 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 and it's
1: to do what a lot of these other bands have done. They've had to. They've had to go through a lot of, of horrific stuff. Or because of their success, they've had a lot of horrific things happen. And, you know, if that's the cost, that may not be worth it to a lot of people.
2: Well, I've had a fair amount of success and a fair amount of publicity and fame as far as that's concerned. And I don't feel like I would go crazy if it happened to me. Um, But I'm also not concerning myself with it. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a professional musician who makes his living playing music and has no one underwriting what he's doing and that has been the case literally for decades, I don't feel anything other than massive gratitude for that.
1: That's amazing. That's fantastic.
2: You know, I don't feel like I got dealt the wrong hand or I did the wrong thing. No, I did the exact right thing. Yeah. Music gave me everything in my life that's good. I met my wife as a result of music. See? My, you know, and me, we've been married for the better part of 27 years. That's by far wow. the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. That's all. I only got that because I played in a band that put me in a position where I would meet her eventually. Yeah. That's how it worked. So had I never played music, I never would have met her. Man. And she was not a fan of our band. She didn't really even know who we were. Oh, really? (laughs) No, not really. I think she was vaguely aware of us, but she wasn't a fan Wow. No, because we're an underground weird band. We're not like, you know, it's not like we're MTV. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, never happened. Almost never like, ha- we weren't famous like that. We were famous to underground people. We we're famous in that world. Yeah. Not in that. It's not like she would have even known who we were, but she was into underground music too. It's just didn't happen to cross our path. So that was attractive yeah. to me as well. So I never felt like she was only interested in me because of mu- that, that kind of music. But had I not been involved in music, I met her through mutual friends. That never would have happened. So, that's not lost on me.
1: That's and and she's a uh, an artist herself.
2: Yeah, graphic design. We've worked together for the better part of 30 years.
1: C- Congratulations on almost 27 years, too. That's that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. yeah,
2: it's a long time. It's a long time to do anything. Let alone you know how many people we've known in that amount of time have been married and divorced and married again and divorced And in, in, in the same oh. amount of time that we've been married? We've only each only ever been married once. <laughs> that, that,
1: that's fantastic. My wife and I, we're going to be, uh, I think, let me think. What's, we're not, 19 years married, 20 years together this year. So, And we're, yeah. same thing, you know, a lot of people we know gone through multiple marriages and it's...
2: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I don't take that lightly either. It's Like I said, it's not lost on me, the importance of that. How to, let's say I picked up the guitar and and all I got out of it was my relationship with my wife. That's way more than I could have ever hoped for, you know?
1: That's that's so wonderful to hear. I love hearing that. But
2: that's way more than I could have ever hoped for. I win. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Along those lines is simply... Extra. Yep. You know, and as a result of that extra, I am willing to work my ass off and play all the time live and make records all the time and do all kinds of crazy stuff because I appreciate and want to do those things out of appreciation for the people who have put me in a position to make that possible.
1: And see, I love hearing this stuff. This is this this is the kind my- of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that I love hearing. Now yeah. For either Melvin's or the, or the King Buzzo stuff, do you have a process for it? I mean, you're, you're putting stuff out regularly. I mean, it's it's yeah, amazing. Of, do you have yeah, a
2: time? Um, There's no. You mean like a process of work? You mean yeah.
1: Like like do you, do you sit down to write something, or do you just noodle away while you're doing something else, and it and it comes? Is is there? I know most people don't have a set process for doing it, but is there a way that it happens more often than not?
2: Well, I mean, pretty much every time I touch a guitar, I'm thinking in terms of songwriting. Okay. Um, the guitar itself, I've never had lessons. I don't know how to read music. I don't even know how to keep like a, to count time. I don't. I do it my own way, a weird way. Okay. Dale is very fortunate. Is I'm very fortunate that Dale can interpret my strange <laughs> ideas. That kind of stuff works. Yeah. And And um, I. I used to kind of concern myself about that because I felt like I was missing something by not knowing those things. But now I just couldn't care less. Yeah. I just, couldn't, I don't care to ever know any of those kinds of things. I do just fine. Um, and so a lot of things that are, uh, are, uh, uh, would be an exercise for me now in the last 10 years has been like figuring out another band song, just figuring it out. Okay. And that's kind of practice for me. Okay. Um, you know, like a figure out a really hard Led Zeppelin song or figure out a really hard Alice Cooper song. You know, we've done that for years, that kind of thing. Figuring if we can play this stuff in a way that sounds pretty good, it'll only help us. That's it. You Mm -hmm. know, we do it for fun. We love to play. You put us in a room, we'll, we'll start playing. There's just nothing around it, but I'll do that at home for practice. Lots of stuff that I would, you know, I never would play, you know, um, we would never, never see the light of day anymore. It was just for practice. And the other thing I'll do is, um, I just start playing riffs in a wide variety of crazy tunings, some of which are, are on my own tunings. Oh, wow. And um, the last few years, I've really gotten into open E and open G tuning. And I think on their last album, we did, no, the rec- record before the last one, mm-hmm. I don't believe there was a standard tuning song on it. Oh, you know? wow. It was all in, in open tuning or, or a weird tuning of my own creation. Oh, I don't care about those kinds of, you know, people getting all weird about, you know, not too many people get weird about it. But uh, um, when they do, I just think, you know, why? These are only tools that will help you be creative. They're not going to hurt you.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? I, I love open to I know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when you go into record for, for, for either Melvin's or your, your solo stuff, is the material worked out beforehand? Do you lot do, do much experimenting writing in the studio?
2: Not much writing in the studio. We'll do... We have recorded... We have written and recorded probably the better part of 500 songs. So, it's a... um, After a while, you really start to look for ways you haven't done things before. Yeah. And... Yeah. So, we'll do... We're more likely now to record stuff when we just about have it down as opposed to flogging the life out of it for months and months on end before we record it. Oh, okay. Um, I think it gives it the songs, not always, but sometimes it'll give it a little bit of a life that it doesn't have after you've beaten it into the ground. Yeah. With massive rehearsal. Um, if If you have something that a guy... Musician, you know, uh, a person has barely able to do it, and they're a really good player, they're going to play that, that. That's that's a performance you're not going to get after, you know, two weeks of really hardcore rehearsal. Right. And so there's, you know, especially in the last 10 years, we've adapted that into our recording style a lot more than we ever would have. Okay. You know, so it's like, here's a song, have this all worked out, I'll show it to you guys. They're all extremely good players. That's one thing I've been very happy about is that, all well, except for a very first base player, everyone else I've played with have been exceptionally talented when it came to playing. And the guys I'm playing with now, Steven and Dale, I would say arguably they're as good as anybody on the planet. And yeah. I completely uh, feel honored. It's an honor and a privilege to play with those guys. And so anything I bring in, if we run through it, Four or five times, and they've got it down pretty good. Sometimes we'll just track it. Yeah. See how it goes. Oh. You know, put a fill here, do that, track it. That sounds great, and it's no one's ever noticed that that's what happened on some on some. Like you couldn't go through the record to pick out oh, which ones did you rehearse and which ones didn't you rehearse. Right. You can't tell. No. You never be able. To, you know. Yeah. Because they all sound good because that's where these guys are at musically. Okay. You know, I think that's what people like Miles Davis picked up on, especially during his electric era, was that they might be able to play this better if we rehearsed it a bunch, but it's not going to be better.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know?
1: And that's so I point.
2: think we're much more likely these days to embrace that kind of attitude than we ever would, would have before, you know? We'd have been too afraid that like it wouldn't work and then we realized no this will work these days are good yeah you know what they're doing you know
1: <laughs> the professionals
2: yeah You've... you trust their instincts you trust their judgment you trust the flow of the music and you play something for somebody and they get really excited about it and they're into it that's not going to be like that in two weeks <sighs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah exactly be like that now and i want to record that moment not always But sometimes I want to record that moment and and savor it and realize that, you know, we really only played this song three or four times. And then, and that's how it is on the record. Yeah. We'll go back and do some guitar overdubs and stuff like that. But, um, but the basic drums and sometimes the basics of the song are, are done in that way. Lots of times the drums, not always, but you know, lots more now than we ever would have. We would never have considered that back in the, a long time ago because we would have had the studio was really expensive and now we have our own yeah. studio and, uh, we needed to have our shit wired before we ever got through the door. So,
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And now I do have a, a question about the solo stuff that you're doing. I mean, you've done, yeah. you've been a Melvin, the Melvin for or since the early eighties. So, you know, almost 33, 83. God, but you've just started doing solo work. Um, is there a reason you're just now getting into doing some some you know solo acoustic albums?
2: Well, I did I did my first solo acoustic record um, in 2014. Right, right. Which is uh, this machine kills Artist. and yeah. so that one, I decided I wanted to do it. I kind of stuck my toe in the water a little bit here and there, and then. Uh, I got a good reception from that. It seemed like it would work. Then I recorded the whole album of just me and an acoustic guitar and uh, then did a whole world tour with just me and an acoustic guitar. That's awesome. Then that was great. And then I knew I could do it. I did. I think I did a hundred shows on acoustic that year. Wow. Geez. Yeah. And so then when this came up, I knew I wanted to do something different on this album. And uh, we did a lot of work between 2014 and now. And um, it was time to do it. So I knew I wanted it to be different. Uh, so originally my plan was, and how most of it was recorded more than a year ago, was to have acoustic guitar with modular synth and vocals. That's okay. what my original plan was. Okay. You know? And so I wanted it to be, if you know, like throbbing gristle meets acoustic guitar, meet you know, okay, uh, that kind of thing. Sort of those kind of elements mixed in. I had never heard anybody do that. And then no. about a year, over a year ago, I was talking to Trevor Dunn, who I play with also sometimes in Phantomas. Yes. And he, um, I said, you know, I want to do this acoustic thing again. Uh, we should do a tour together. And if we're going to do a tour together, we should do like a tour EP where we play together. Maybe at the, on the shows, you know, you can play first, and then uh, maybe we could play some songs together at some point during the show or something like that. It might be fun. He was like, that sounds great. He, so I had my acoustic record done, or pretty much recorded most of it. And then I said, uh, uh, come on out. This was a, this would have been February or March of you know last year. Okay. And, uh, uh, he came out. He was here for two days. We figured we'd get enough for uh, this EP. And I go, well, try playing on one of these songs. We'll put it on the EP. Maybe we'll just have this version of bass on and the only instruction I told him was to play overplay. You know? <laughs> okay. Sure. You overplay. I really like your bowing and I really like, you know, the plucking. So do both of that, but just overplay knowing that if I gave him that much creative freedom, he wasn't really going to overplay, you know? Right. But to really give it all he's got. And so we did a song and I was like, Oh my God, as soon as I heard it with the, with my song, it was already done. I was like, that sounds so good. And so he ended up playing on almost the whole record. Oh, wow. Which is why it's a King Buzzo with Trevor Dunn record and not a King Buzzo and Trevor Dunn record, because we didn't really write anything together.
1: You know? Okay, because th- that was going to be my next question, is did he have any input in the writing process?
2: I, I gave him, he did a couple of instrumental things that, that are on there. <laughs> Um, that wouldn't have been, and then there's some songs on the EP that aren't on the album that might have been, you know, so. Okay. But it, to call it a Trevor Dunn and King Buzzer record, this isn't true. We might do one of those in the future, but um, that would be more, you know, more of a collaboration. Okay. okay. And less of him coming in and, re- and recording his parts in two, you know, over what was already done, you
1: know. Uh, okay, okay. Some of the songs on "Gift of Sacrifice" are, are longer than the songs on on uh, "This Machine Kills Artists." Was that conscious to, to just kind of stretch things out a little bit, or was it just the way the writing
2: went? Yeah, um, it was conscious. Okay. Um, I wanted to get more into longer songs a little bit, not all okay. more longer, but um, and there's a lot more production on this record. Yeah, yeah, a lot more. Um, as far as like, you know, weirder, way more, there's no modular synth than The first one, there's all kinds of wacky modular synth stuff as well as, you know, doubled up guitars and bass and just all, and vocals, all kinds of vocals. And we just really worked on this in a much different attitude. The other record is a lot more straight ahead. Okay. Which I think worked really good. I'm really happy with that record. I wouldn't change a thing.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it.
2: Yeah. But this one is a more, uh, um, more of a production, I guess. Yeah. But what's funny was the first one is people go, like, well, This sounds like the Melvins on acoustic guitar. I go, well, What the fuck would it sound like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and Bob Dylan sounds like Bob Dylan on acoustic guitar. Weird.
1: No, no shit. Know? That's crazy how that works out.
2: I know. I can't believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Joan Baez sounds like Joan Baez when she plays acoustic guitar. <laughs> so strange as she- is- ever.
1: So you mentioned that the, the modular shift, is that what's going on at the end of delayed clarity?
2: Do me and, me and uh, Toshi Kasai, who recorded it, he records all of our stuff. Me and him are really good at you know, making crazy sounds out of almost nothing.
1: <laughs> well
2: we've been doing that for a long time.
1: Yeah. Well, I've noticed that there's a there's a bunch of songs that end with with something really weird going on. It's it's I love yeah. it. It's awesome.
2: Yep, yeah. that's par- that's part of the plan to take you out of the relic. My wife when I played her the whole album, which is like we mastered this thing December 19th. Okay. And so I've been living with it since then. Since before that, when I'm listening to the uh, mixes of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, now is when I can enjoy the record. And so when I, you know, like right up until about the time it comes out, and then I've moved on. It's about, you know, five or six months. I've lived with the record before anybody has ever heard it. Yeah. Hardly. And then I move on. Well, I played the whole thing for my wife obviously a bunch of times and I always care what she thinks. And she says, like you and Trevor have created something I have, something I haven't ever heard before. You
1: know? Yeah. This
2: thing is different than anything I've ever heard before. Which is, which is, uh, ha- I was happy she said that because she's not a good liar.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good that's quality. I believe, you know? Well, I was listening to it. Uh, and to me, housing luxury and energy is, is just a beast of a song it's, um, yeah. I'm not blowing smoke when I, I'm, I'm seriously telling you that it is one of the best songs I've heard in years Absolutely love that song. I've I've been playing it over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, I like that name too. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, what was the other? Uh, well? Delayed Clarity uh, is also another yeah. favorite of mine.
2: Delayed Clarity. Uh, I think I wrote I wrote both of those. Both of those I wrote in my living room on the same guitar. So oh wow, kind of similar, a little bit, but not not tremendously.
1: Yeah. Are these example the songs? Are these examples of you coming up with your own? weird tunings or are these just standard open tunings.
2: Tunings goes around.
1: Yeah. How are you going to play it live though? Is it? Is it?
2: No, I can figure it out.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I know it's got to be one of the ones I use.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you keep track of to... them somehow. I figured
2: out. I figured out. You know, without too much trouble. <laughs> Probably barely even have to play it and I'll know it. You know, recorded all that stuff over a year ago. Yeah. It's. And so I've recorded a hell of a lot since then. I've done a ton of touring
1: yeah oh
2: so i'm not sitting there playing those riffs over and over
1: yeah i mean and that's one of the things i mean you're constantly working you are constantly writing music it's it's you're a machine with it
2: yeah it's uh like i said it's it's the deal i made
1: yeah that's it's amazing to me
2: i think that's what people should do i mean if i was a huge band like tool or you know um any of these bands, I would do 60 to hundred shows a year, even if I didn't have a record out.
1: That would be, you know? well, it's how many shows do you do per year now? Uh, between 80, to 80 to
2: 120 shows a year. Wow. depending. You know, sometimes a few last, but generally it's about 80 to 120.
1: Well, how did, how did the whole King Buzzo persona come about?
2: The guys in Boner, when I we were on Boner in the eighties, the the people that work there um, gave me that nickname because I was so
1: opinionated.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it, huh? That
1: was it. Oh, man, that's awesome. Did your gear change a lot throughout these the uh, the years? Are you still, do you, do you run through different, do you try a whole lot of different stuff? Or Because I know your music is, can be pretty experimental. Do you experiment a lot with different uh, guitars, amps, pedals?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I've always changed stuff I'm a big believer in new equipment I'm not a vintage guitar guy Oh, okay I think that, you know, people like Guitar is 70 years old So it has a better sound to it Really? Well, you're still a shitty guitar player <laughs> No matter what guitar you play <laughs> You know? You, you, can, you can think that your crap Sounds a lot better because you're playing a 1950s Les Paul But I disagree <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, do you, do you have a favorite piece of gear uh for doing the King Buzzo shows?
2: Well, what I what I what I recorded most of the stuff with was uh these Bluefield guitars that I bought live for playing live. They're just new. Okay. And I wanted ones that had a internal pickup so I could just plug them in. Ah, yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't want to hook up some, you know, uh jerry rigged set up. You know, I wanted to be mm-hmm. wanted to be able to handle me walking around because I didn't I'm not sitting down to play. I'm standing up to play acoustic guitar. Right. I can't, I can't really sit down and play. I don't do good. I'm not good at it. Even in the studio I stand up when I play. Okay. I play better. I don't know why. And then but um, those are what I play live. So some of that's on the, these 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 uh this record, this new record. The first record, I didn't have those guitars yet. So I played a Buck Owens American and I played a Gibson that Toshi had, okay. acoustic, Toshi had. but both these records, the acoustic guitars are not ran through amplifiers. Neither is the bass. It's all acoustically mic'd. Oh wow, yeah. But live, I run through an amp. But there's no amps on either one of these records. Either on the new one, no amp for the bass, no amp for the guitar, the acoustics, and on the first one, there's no. It's just it's just weird miking techniques is all it is.
1: Was that on purpose? Uh, just to get the, uh, the like that deep heavy sound from the guitar?
2: Uh, well, you, you do know, it? acoustic guitar and maybe I'll go, maybe I should double it up or I'll double up a couple parts here and there. That's about okay. it. Really. It's just through micro, I'd stand in front of a wide array of microphones and as long as they weren't out of phase, and sometimes if, even if they were, yes. um, <laughs> depending on how I like, we would go with it. We did all kinds of things like in the first one, especially, we did some stuff like play as close to put a, put another guitar, on a stand right up by in front of you playing and then put a microphone inside the other guitar. Oh, wow! and so then you put the guitar in the same tuning that you're in and then play as close to it as you can and use the sound out of the inside of the guitar you're playing into. You know,
1: that is awesome. That's, that's the kind of shit I love. I love we hearing that.
2: that. So much of that stuff. I don't even remember all of it, oh, you know,
1: man. Well, the good thing is you don't have to, really, after it's done.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. We've always done that kind of, st- that kind of stuff on records. I rarely use exactly my same live setup that I do on records. I mean, records are – I view live and records as completely polarly op- opposite things. And I really don't believe that if someone's listening to one of our albums at home through a stereo, that they think that they're seeing a live show. I don't believe that.
1: Right. You yeah, know? yeah.
2: We, we approach the records not unlike the way you would approach making a movie. Okay. And um, it's not supposed to be live. I mean, we can play it live, but a lot of times our, we take a lot of liberties with our stuff live. And have to sound like the way it sounds on the record. I'm never worried about that. I, I learned that lesson really vividly when I was a, always been a huge Who fan. And when I heard Live at Leeds... <laughs> Most of those songs are so much radically, so radically different than what they are on the record that yeah. I realize, oh, you don't have to do that. It's still really good.
1: No, and that's one of the things I always liked about going to live shows is when, when the it? band plays something a little differently from the record anyway. I, that's yeah. kind of the point of going to a live show.
2: It never bothers me. Never. No, I love it. I don't care what they do. I, I like bands that take liberties. If they want to do medleys, if they want to do cover songs, it's, like, it's all fun. Yeah. Part of the juice of playing live. And then the studio, I have a wide variety of guitars from, you know, uh, uh, mostly new. Uh, I have still have my first Les Paul, but that doesn't make it on record too often. Um, right. And uh, that's been funny. I've talked about this before in interviews where people will go, you know, I don't really like it because now I use, uh, live I'll use these things called the Elec- from the Electrical Guitar Company. Either they're uh, uh, Travis Beans or they're just regular ones. And they um, They're aluminum and some of them are aluminum and wood hybrid, and people go, I don't like the way those sound. It's like, okay, you're out of your mind. You think I've never, I liked your Les Paul a lot better. It's like, okay, first off, you think I've never AB'd these? Right, yeah. <laughs> Ever, you know, are you, are, you, are you drunk? And they'll go, well, like the sound on Star witch with the, with the Les Paul sounds a lot better. I go, well, what song? Like, Revolve. Revolve is actually um I borrowed a Jackson from the engineer and the overdub is with the Mustang and the solo is played on a, on a Fender Stratocaster. <laughs> oh, oh man. You don't even know you don't even know what you're hearing, you know? <laughs> it's just it's so absurd. Yeah. Think about it, that's like what are you talking about? You know, I mean I love these new uh the new Dan Electros, I think they're awesome guitars, brand new. And I had a Silvertone. Dan Electros is uh, from the 60s, but the Dan Electros way better. The new Dan Electro plays better, sounds better, everything. Oh, cool. You know, I'm not a vintage guy. I just don't care about that. I think, you know, if you take somebody like Hendrix or any good guitar player or Pete Townsend, they're going to sound good on any guitar you give them.
1: That's true. That is very you know? true.
2: You can have the greatest vintage guitar of all time and the greatest vintage amp of all time. I can play through that, and you give Hendrix, you give give Hendrix the brand new amp with a brand new guitar. He's still gonna blow me out of the water.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and you hand all that to me, and I'm still gonna sound like I'm a monkey banging on something.
2: Right. That's it. You know, we are firmly convinced that you can put us in the studio with any kind of equipment. Drums, guitars, ba- basses, amps—we could make it work. I and I
1: firmly believe you too.
2: Absolutely, We're, we, that stuff doesn't intimidate us. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a slave to my gear. You
1: know? that's awesome. That's awesome because you hear that a lot. Is it guys are are, are freaking out because they're something in their rig broke and it's it's you know a vintage piece of equipment and now they think they're screwed so.
2: Well, don't take vintage stuff on the road. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and use that in the road. And preferably, if you can, especially the stomp boxes, find stuff that you can buy just about anywhere. Now I've done a bunch of my own stomp boxes. so. Oh, really? Yeah, I did a distortion box, the pessimizer, and a compressor called the compressomizer. And oh, I'm cool. going to do another one pretty soon, but I'm not going to tell you what it is.
1: Uh, and that, is that through uh, like a, a buzz series?
2: Hilbish Design. Okay. I also use his preamps, which are a uh, takeoffs uh, sun beta lead preamps. You know? Oh, cool! Cool from the seventies. I, I think they're they're better. You know? They're more hot. They some more hot rodded.
1: Oh, awesome! That is yeah, awesome. I
2: love, love it. So I don't use. I haven't for a long time. I don't use tube amps. I haven't for decades. But I have some tube amps that we use in the studio. But they, you know, tube amps on the road are a big pain in the ass. Yeah, and, you know, they don't work, and things happen to them, and uh, I need gear that can take a beating.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: I play the shit out of my gear. I need gear that will work. I've tried a massive, wide variety of guitar cabinets, speaker setups, um, amplifiers, and I've hit on this, and I feel really comfortable knowing that I love my guitar sound and no one else in the world is using this exact same setup. Nobody. I'm very happy about that. Okay, (laughs) And it's not because of somebody else, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Now, I know you had plans to tour, and, uh, you know, everybody's oh, yeah. plans to tour have really kind of gone down the toilet lately. Yeah. Are you planning on doing any live streams or, or touring later in the year?
2: Everybody's trying to tour later in the year. That's not going to happen. Okay. Um, we'll see what happens. If They come up with a miracle cure, you know? Yeah. And then cancel it. It'll only be by degree. It'll be okay. like, I'll cancel the first few weeks, and then if it com- becomes obvious that I have to cancel the next few weeks, you know, that's what I'm going to do.
1: So. Okay. Okay. So where how can people find out about that? Is, is I'll announce social, it. Is there a social media presence where people can look for you? In- yeah,
2: you can look at the Melvins, or you can look at, you know, it's, it's all out there. My tour dates aren't, they're not hiding. Right. <laughs> They've been on sale since January.
1: And people who want to see the show are going to know how to find you anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, just like you do any other show. Yep. We're living through some strange times right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, we really are. And it's, it, it's it's funny because I've seen so many people having to cancel shows and then doing live streams now.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know how exactly they're doing that, but I'm not super excited about running right into a studio where everybody else is. That's not really social socially isolating.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what I, I know a couple of people what that... that they're
2: doing, um, but me running over to a rehearsal studio with a bunch of our guys and our engineer. It seems it seems counterproductive.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, that, and what I've seen a couple people do is, is, you know, put up a camera in, um, in like a home rehearsal space or something and, and just one band member playing like a solo acoustic kind of a thing, you know, things like that.
2: So. Well, I could do that, but I um, might do that at some point. Okay. But uh, uh, it'll sound crappy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, –
2: I yeah. guess if it's on the internet um, it's going to sound crappy anyway <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but then I've, I've kept you for over an hour and I really do appreciate you spending so much time and, and talking with me where can nope. where can people find the album how how can they purchase it when it comes out
2: it's on Ipecac Records so you can buy it anywhere uh, that you normally buy records it's okay. distributed in the US um, hopefully by then Amazon will be back to selling to delivering music again yeah um, we still sell a lot of hard copies of our stuff.
1: I still buy hard copies all the time. That's, I've, I've I got do. like four thousand CDs in the room below me. So it's
2: oh, I'm glad you like CDs. I love CDs.
1: I love them. I absolutely love them.
2: They sound unbelievable.
1: They they do. I don't know why everybody gives them such a, a bad rap because they're easy. They're
2: portable. Yeah, they're affordable and they sound great.
1: Yeah, and and I I hate, I, I understand the love of downloads and I've got downloads. But I always I, I don't feel like I completely own it because I I love I'm a I was a photographer for years so I I kind of like seeing the artwork and having that in front of me to open up and read liner notes and stuff while I'm listening so
2: yeah I like that too I'm an amateur photographer myself
1: oh sweet
2: yeah I have an Instagram account you should check out Real King Buzzo.
1: okay I will ch- I'll check it out right after we record um uh,
2: people can check it out it's just my photography there's no selfies I'm not selling anything on it i am putting together finally putting i've been taking pictures forever once the digital thing happened yeah uh, i could never really afford film and all that and developing prior to that but once a digital thing happened my ability to take pictures and the amount of pictures i took just exploded oh yeah i, mean, I would well, people for a long time you should do something you should do i just did it for my own my own enjoyment and yeah now i have a for uh, probably coming up on a year. I've had an Instagram account finally where I've been showing off my photography and got a really, really good response from it. So
1: That's awesome. I, I didn't realize it. I'll have to check it out uh, after we record. Real and, King Buzzo. Real King Buzzo. Awesome. And, and mine you know, have
2: an electric next to it, so you know it's me. Oh, good. <laughs> and All it is is pictures that I've taken. I'm behind the camera. I'm not in front of it. It's, it's no pictures of me doing anything. It's just me taking pictures of other people or animals doing stuff.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. I went to college for it for for uh, years, and then I did it professionally for a while. So, uh,
2: I, 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 yeah, I love photography. I loved it. For it's one of the one of my passions.
1: Oh man, that's I'm I'm definitely checking out it as soon as we wrap up here. And uh, I if you wanna if for some reason you're bored and you want to check out my Instagram, because I I've I've actually gotten back into shooting a lot of live music, uh, shot failure, uh, woven hand. Uh, cool. Uh, Fireball Ministry.
2: Yeah, I don't think I would be good at that.
1: Oh, man. I would love for you to check mine out and, and uh, let me know what you think. My
2: miniature, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, That's what I do, mostly. I'll check you out. I, if,
1: I would love it if you would check mine out, too. It's at, Absolutely. It's at Mark X Shea. It's M-A-R-C-X-S-H-E-A.
2: Okay. I'll check it out for sure.